Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, November 20th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. And I'm on my way to a BFA's Natalie Nowak. Guys, happy Thanksgiving week. This is going to be a little bit of a weird week for us here at Broadway Radio. We'll talk a little bit about that more as the week progresses. But it is Mondays, James, so that means yesterday you had a new episode of This Week on Broadway. You had uh, Michael Portantier and Jenna Tessa Fox. You guys talked about uh, a number of different shows, including the, that Brigadoon concert, and a couple of you talked about the band's visit. And I did notice that you talked about the fact that all of the shows that you discussed on this week on Broadway were somehow brought by not-for-profit theaters. Is that did I get that right? Wow, you actually listened to the show. That was at the very end. You made it to that point. Yeah. No, I was talking about um, how it occurred to me as I was going through the rundown of the shows that we talked about that each and every show uh, would not be where they are today without the nonprofit theaters and how important it is to support our nonprofit theaters and the development of the arts. And, you know, it, it, I feel as though it's somewhat preaching to the choir because I think that most of our listeners, if not mm-hmm. all of our listeners already are in that camp and understand that. But it, it just hit me that I was like, wow, every single thing that we talked about was related to a nonprofit theater. And, uh, I mean, just the raves about the Brigadoon thing. I'm, I'm interested to hear yeah. what's going to happen. As we chatted about on this week on Broadway, I'm not sure that Kelly can do a Brigadoon in the next no. two years. So if yeah. they do do it, it would either be two, two years or more away or without Kelly. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, as we talked about last week, after we talked about the reviews, she's got The King and I this summer over in London. Then she's got Kiss Me Kate coming up. So it would be a while. And that being said, apparently one of the breakout, not breakout stars, but one of the stars of the show was also the incredible Stephanie J. Block. She, supposedly not confirmed, uh, will be playing one of the shares in the share show. So apparently she's going to be busy as well. So we'll we'll see what happens down the road. But with all of these different benefit concerts, uh, there's a lot of potential good things happening if they can come up. We're going to talk about another one here in just a minute. But another show I wanted to mention before we get into the news has nothing to do with not-for-profit theaters, and that is Mean Girls. This thing is a money-making machine, I think, that will not have uh, any problems once it comes to Broadway. But it had its official opening night in Washington, D.C. last night. We don't have any reviews yet, but I'm sure we'll have some, even if it's just from like the Washington Post um, and some other local outlets uh, to talk about tomorrow. So we'll see about that. Um, but congratulations to everyone down at the National Theater, and I'm looking forward to seeing it uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes uh, to Broadway in the spring. So Mean Girls is playing at the National Theater. Okay, fine. That's a not-for-profit theater. Not-for-profit theater. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, but uh, whatever. It's a commercial run. It, it. I agree with you. It is a commercial run, but if there was no National Theater, would Mean Girls be playing right now? Yes, it would have found somewhere else to play. <laughs> <laughs> every, I mean, the thing is, every regional theater is pretty much a not is basically a not for profit theater. It's it's you know outside of the Broadway, there are very few you know commercial theaters just because it's insanely hard to make money off of them, um, and you can't you don't have the the potential reward to balance out the huge risk outside of New York. So you're right, it, it is national theater is not for profit, but. 
splitting hairs, whatever. Uh, well, moving forward, did you hear my train wreck in This Week on Broadway uh, with Ben? Wh- which one? <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Point for Tamanini from three from downtown. Yeah. Uh, when I said that uh, Ben Pasek was leaving Evan Hansen. You know? That would be odd. Because I don't know anybody named Ben Pasek. Yeah. Uh, ben, you've got Ben, ben Platt and you've got Benj Pasek. No, I said Ben I, Platt. <laughs> no. You ben can kind of put them all together. Yeah, but you're He's right. He's from Canada. Night, oh, geez, stop. We don't need to offend any more Canucks. Uh, anyway, yes, last night Ben Platt played his final performance in Dear Evan Hansen. I think that is not something that will come to a surprise to anybody who's listening to this show. All sorts of stars from theater, film, TV, music, and more reached out to the 24-year-old Tony Winter on social media to wish their best in his final weekend and final performance. Those people included some of Ben's DEH co-stars, the show's writers, including Benj Pasek, um, along with Hugh Jackman, Josh Groban, Lin-Manuel Miranda, James Corden, Laura Benanti, Sam Smith, Christina Applegate, Cynthia Erivo, Ben's best friend, Hello Dolly star Beanie Feldstein, which who whom we'll talk about more here later, and many, many more. We'll have a kind of a little bit of a roundup of those in the show notes. For his part, Platt tweeted, quote, Today is my last Dear Evan Hansen performance, ending a three-and-a-half-year journey with a remarkable family of artists. I am proud of all I gave in great for all I received. I love you, Evan. You changed every part of my life. I'll carry you with me for the rest of my days. Now, onward. We'll have a, a video of his final curtain call in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com as well. Unsurprisingly, he and his castmates were fairly emotional, and the audience just kept cheering and cheering and cheering, and I think he had to come out like three extra times just to kind of settle the crowd down. And on his final one, he told them no more. I'm not coming out anymore. So they kind of died down. Um, James, you've seen the show twice, I think with Ben, right? Once on Broadway and once off, or did you see it twice on Broadway? I uh, saw it uh, at second stage and I saw it twice on Broadway. Okay. So you've seen it three times. Natalie, have you seen the show at all? No, I haven't seen it. And that's one that I'm really going to regret not seeing the original cast. I would love to see it at some point, but yeah. I really wish I would have seen it when Ben was there. Yeah. yeah, and I saw it with his alternate Michael Lee Brown a couple weeks ago. And while I think that the buzz for this show will keep it running for a while with first Noah Galvin and then Taylor Trench coming in to take over the role. But I do have to wonder, James, and we talked about this uh, when we had dinner a couple weeks ago. I have to wonder if the exit of the show's central star, who so much of the buzz and the advertising has been built around, will impact the show in the box office, maybe not immediately, but over the next few months. I think so much of the success of this show has been built around this singular performance. I don't know if anybody is ever going to not necessarily live up to the actual performance, but live up to the buzz of that performance and the word of mouth of that performance. So I have to wonder how this show will do now that Ben's gone. I think it'll be fine for the next few months, but after a while, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Well, uh, Hamilton seemed to put, be, be able to pull, pull out of that nosedive. Uh, well, we, I think that's a little different cause that wasn't just focused on Lynn's performance. There was so much about the show itself, not just about one person's, you know, character. Uh, I, yeah, it's it's true, but I think that I think that the show is so relevant that that, especially to um, to the millennials, that I feel like 
that's what will keep it running. I don't know. I mean, I don't know for how long, but I feel like past the next few months, I think uh, the the subject matter will. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that as well. Uh, I think that the big challenge for Dear Evan Hansen is that it's so tied in with uh, the display of technology. And if technology changes, you know, Instagram and Facebook and mm -hmm. various other things that are tied into the show, if they don't update them in 24 months or so, it's going to seem stale and dated, just like when you see a production of uh, Rent these days. And, yeah. and you're like, Rent don't, was so... What? Don't come after Rent. Don't I, come after I'm, Rent. <laughs> don't not, you do it. I'm not coming after Rent. I'm just saying some <laughs> of the things are kind of... Uh, no, it's you know, true. That's a good point. Yeah. The whole voicemail I, situation in Rent, you know? <laughs> screening their calls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think... I, I think that if you look, if you pay close attention to Dear Evan Hansen, I think that they kind of live in a world that kind of merges different eras of technology. And I saw someone say this, and I don't remember who it was, so I apologize. But like even the sounds that they use before the show, because they have these the different social media bings, bings, bings all over, um, you know, the you know, 20, 30 minutes from whenever the house opens, they've pulled sounds from different eras of smartphones. So it's not just the stuff, the ringtones and the notifications that happen on phones today. They're things that happen when iPhones first started. So I feel like they almost kind of live in a, in a world timeless where the, yeah, that's timeless. That's so the social media wasn't pinning it down specifically to where it is, but they do obviously have a lot of the, you know, the, the streaming video and the live chats and stuff that they do in the show. So I, I think it, it cuts itself a little bit of a break there, but I also think this is a show that if you pull too hard on any of the the plot-based springs, things might unravel a little bit. So it's best to kind of leave it alone at that. Jenga. <laughs> it's Jenga. <laughs> um, you know, think about this. Uh, totally tangential to what we're saying. If Ken Davenport had produced Dear Evan Hansen, you know, <sighs> would you have had product placement of an iPhone somewhere within the show? And had Apple Ken, pay for that. Ken is very proud of the fact that he was in an early iPhone commercial. So I have no doubt that he would have worked that very commercial into the show. Oh, somehow. himself! He would have put yeah. himself on stage, kind of. That, that being said, that being said, I do have to give Ken credit. I thought the staging of of Once on This Island was magnificent. Um, and I, I said I'm not going to do too much of a review on that show since I only saw the fourth preview. But um, very, very well done on the staging. Nothing too snake oil salesman-y in that one. Shockingly, the people in uh, Once on This Island had uh, wireless ear pods. So. <laughs> No, they didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't not. see. It. I didn't see it yet. I didn't see it. Just guess. Just kidding. All right. What's up in the show and casting news? All right. On Friday, the Roundabout Theater Company announced more stars for next month's Damn Yankees benefit concert reading. As I said, lots of these benefits. Uh, playing Joe Boyd is uh, Stephen Bogardus, who I think is probably 
a little, if not way too young for the role, but I guess he's playing opposite Victoria Clark, so I guess it makes a little sense age-wise, but I think they're both probably a little young. Anyway, playing Shoeless Joe Hardy is stage and screen star Matthew Morrison, as intrepid reporter Gloria Thorpe will be future Tina Turner, Adrian Warren, the great Annie Golden will be playing uh, will be playing Doris, and Julie Halston will play Sister. Further casting will be announced shortly. The concert will take place at the Stephen Sondheim Theater on Monday, December 11th at 7.30 p.m., Proceeds from the benefit concert reading support Roundabout's many programs and initiatives, including education at Roundabout. Also announced on Friday, MCC Theater has extended Jocelyn Bio's world premiere play. I'm going to screw this name up. Schoolgirls or the African Mean Girls play directed by uh, Tony winner Rebecca Tashman. The show has been given an extra two weeks and will now play through December 23rd. In the show, Paulina, the reigning queen bee at Ghana's most exclusive boarding school, has her sights set on the Miss Universe pageant. But the arrival of Erica, a new student with undeniable talent and beauty, captures the attention of the pageant recruiter and Paulina's hive-minded friends. The comedy explores the universal similarities and glaring differences facing teenage girls across the globe. This is one, James, that I feel has kind of been gaining momentum in terms of the word of mouth, something that um, you know, it's kind of with all of the big flashy openings of the fall was kind of getting pushed down. But as people have started to see it, I've heard great things about this. Uh, and then finally, in this section yesterday, the New York Times reported that Gerard Alessandrini's Hamilton parody Spamilton will close off Broadway on January 7th, nearly 18 months after it opened what was supposed to be a very short, like two week run. If that even I might have even been shorter. The musical from the creator of the Forbidden Broadway series is currently playing at the 47th Street Theater slash Puerto Rican traveling theater. The show is currently also playing in Chicago and Los Angeles and reportedly a national tour is in the works as well. Hmm. So yeah, that Spamilton was not expected to run as long as it did. And, uh, it knocked it out. Uh, did I, I also read, it's not in the script here. Um, that, that game of Thrones parody that changed their name. I think Mm -hmm. that, I think that after they changed their name, they uh, they ate the dragon as, as well. <laughs> Did they? Much to much to Peter's chagrin, I'm sure. Oh, much, much to it. So, uh, Matt, you saw uh, Lady Bird. So tell us about I, that. I did. Are you familiar with this movie, either of you, either James or Natalie? The movie Lady Bird. No, uh, I'm Lady not. Lady Bird Johnson. No, has nothing to do with Lady Bird Johnson. Okay, so over the weekend, I went and saw the new movie Lady Bird from the queen of mumblecore, Greta Gerwig. I'm going to take it. Maybe neither of you know what mumblecore is. That would be correct. Okay, mumblecore is this very uh, it's an independent theater or independent movie style that's very uh, natural and authentic and it is based off like the uh, the relationships and the lives of 20 and 30 year olds. Um, this is really not necessarily a mumblecore movie, but Greta Gerwig is one of the big stars of the mumblecore scene. This movie is her directorial debut. She also wrote it and it starred just a slew of theater stars, which is why I want to mention it here. It includes Saoirse Ronan, who was in the crucible last season as the title character, a difficult but insightful high school senior in the early two thousands in Sacramento, Her parents were played by none other than Lori Metcalf and Tracy Letts. The aforementioned Beanie Feldstein plays her best friend. Also in the cast are stage regulars Lois Smith, James, one of your favorites, uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Lucas Hedges, Timothy Chalamet, and more. In the movie, nearly all of the characters 
are struggling to find out who they are, either initially because they're young or after some sort of change in their lives. They're all looking for something, but no matter how they try, things just never seem to work out as planned. The movie is both sweet and simple and, and sometimes frustrating because of the things that the characters go through and how they treat each other. And even though it is very much a coming-of-age film for Saoirse Ronan's character, Lady Bird, which is not her given name, uh, there, there really aren't any clean or clear or easy answers given. Um, it really felt like real life. Um, there aren't any great tragedies in the film. There aren't any, you know, sudden deaths or, you know, assaults or anything. It's just about the ups and downs that many people go through every day. And I do need to say that this film was produced by the one and only Scott Rudin and Lady Bird's High School does a production of Merrily We Roll Along, which is just perfect directed by Stephen McKinley Henderson. So you get a bunch of people auditioning with Sondheim songs, a bunch of goofy um, theater warmups and stuff, things, Natalie, that I'm sure you do every day in class. Oh yes, definitely. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I highly recommend it. Uh, I don't anticipate it necessarily being one of the Oscars best picture contenders, but I do think you'll see it in the running for a lot of other awards, not only in the Oscars, maybe some nominations there, but also in some other award shows as well. I think you'll be hearing a lot about Lady Bird in the next few months. So uh, basically, this was going to be the plot for the next uh, Fast and the Furious. So they'll have to come up <laughs> with something new. Exactly. Yeah. The Rock was going to play Lady Bird and uh, Tyrese was going to play Stephen McKinley Henderson's part. Yeah, doesn't Scott Rudin know we need a car chase? Come on. <laughs> on Broadway. On Bro let's do a car chase on Broadway. Let's do well, the Sunset Italian Boulevard. job the musical. Well, yeah, well, that's the true. Italian, the, Italian you know, job the musical. Did we ever talk about how they did the car chase in Sunset Boulevard in the revival that was last season? I they, do, I don't believe so, no. Uh so the set for Sunset Boulevard was uh well for uh, the orchestra was yeah. orchestra on stage i think it was on stage um but the set was multi-leveled and like catwalks and staircases and things like that and they they darkened the stage and two actors ran with headlights in their hands so all you saw <laughs> was the headlights making their way across stage it was a really cool effect it was really good uh mm -hmm. contrary to the original sunset boulevard which was a strange hydraulic car thing weird mm. box that they sat in anyway very different sensibilities for the two productions uh, yes yes but uh the the through line of glenn close was uh was <laughs> a, a winner all right uh natalie why don't you tell us what's coming up with this week's theatrical schedule Okay, so first up, Charing Cross Theatre's revival of The Woman in White opens on Monday in London. Now, previously, The Woman in White ran for just over a year and a half on the West End and three months on Broadway. The music is by Andrew Lloyd Webber. And in the show, Walter Hartwright's life is changed forever after a chance encounter with a mysterious woman dressed in white, desperate to reveal her secret. Also on Monday, at the West Side Theater, the off-Broadway production of Whose Holiday opens. This is a one-woman show in which a now-middle-aged Cindy Lou Who, portrayed by the one and only Leslie Margarita, oh. prepares to host a Christmas Eve party for her friends as she recalls that faded night when she first met the Grinch and the strange turn of events that her life has taken for the past 40 years. Man, Matt, I, so... Oh, yeah, you, yes, go ahead. L Leslie Margarita, what, what, what did I hear a sigh of happiness or a sigh of strain? What 
Oh, I, no, well, both. Uh, a sigh of strain that I'm not going to be able to see this because this seems oh. like the most perfect thing in the world. While we are recording yes. or maybe just recently done, uh, our friend Patrick Hines is at the invited dress for this. Um, I Man, I so wish I could see this. Oh, he's James, there? Remember, oh, my goodness. That's yes, so exciting. he's there right now. James, I remember when we first got the announcement about this yeah. last year when Jennifer Samard was going to do it. And uh-huh. we thought this just seems like such a perfect thing because it's written – in Susian couplets. So to just imagine Leslie Margarita <laughs> doing this this character like that, I I so wish that that I could see it. But I have a feeling that if it goes well off Broadway, which I think it will, I don't think this is the end. Uh, I, don't, I don't think this will be the end of Who's Holiday, um, maybe with Leslie or without her. But I, I think that this is going to be one of those shows that ends up being um, one of those uh, you know holiday traditions that gets done all over the place, um, you know, kind of like the Santa land diaries and stuff like that. So I have a feeling whether it's with Queen Leslie or not, that people are going to be getting the, getting the chance to see this show all over the place very soon. This could be the next tuna Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Santa land diaries, tuna Christmas, all of those shows that get done all over the country all the time. All right. Back to you, Natalie. All right. Well, next, Atlantic Theater Company's Describe the Night opens on Monday. Set in Russia over the course of 90 years, this play traces the stories of seven men and women connected by history, myth, and conspiracy theories. The cast features six-time Tony Award and two-time Grammy Award nominee Danny Burstein and Rebecca Naomi Jones, well-known for her portrayal of Yitzhak and Hedwig, and more. Another opening for Monday is Lincoln Center Theater's off-Broadway production of The Wolves. This is a fly-on-the-wall look at a girls' high school soccer team. Um, The Wolves was a finalist for the 2017 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Urban Stage's off-Broadway production entitled A Deal will open on Monday. This is a dark comedy that features upper-middle-class Chinese parents who are proud to give their only daughter a life they could only dream of. That is, until they realize that she's turning into a dangerous stranger. Vineyard Vineyard Theater's world premiere production of Harry Clark opens on Tuesday. Harry Clark is the story of a shy Midwestern man leading an outrageous double life as the cocky Londoner Harry Clark. Tony Award winner Billy Crudup stars in this production. Harry Clark is directed by Tony Award nominee Lee Silverman. I, I do want to say I want I want to jump yeah. in here. I, I talked with um, our own Peter Felicia before he headed out of town over the weekend, James, and he had just seen this. So I don't want to spoil his review for this because it's not officially open yet. Um, but you might want to get tickets is all I'm saying. <laughs> yes. Mm hmm. All right. Well, also on Tuesday, Home for the Holidays opens at the August Wilson Theater. We've discussed this in past episodes, um, but basically dozens of holiday favorites will be performed by numerous reality and well-known YouTube stars. So uh, we'll see how that goes. I'm I'm hearing slow motion train wreck. Yeah. Our audience can really tell how we feel about this. Oh, uh, this is good. This is such... Man, this is a this is going to be a disaster of unmitigated proportions. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, next up, Paper Mill Playhouse's production of Annie opens on Wednesday. Broadway veteran and Tony Award winner Beth Level will be portraying Miss Hannigan with Tony nominee Christopher Sieber as Oliver Warbucks. This production will run through December 31st. The off-Broadway revival of Jersey Boys will open on Wednesday at New World Stages. Jersey Boys is back in New York less than a year after ending its 11-year Broadway run, during which it won four Tony Awards. 
Everybody's Talking About Jamie will also open on Wednesday at London's Apollo Theatre. Supported by his loving mom and friends, 16-year-old drag queen Jamie New overcomes prejudice, bullying, and steps into the spotlight. Bulldozer, The Ballad of Robert Moses, opens off-Broadway on Friday at the Theatre at St. Clement's. This is a new rock musical about public official Robert Moses as he pushes his way through New York, building parkways and bridges to complete his vision of the city. Tony nominee Constantine Maroulis stars in this production. On Sunday, 20th Century Blues opens at the Pershing Square Signature Center. This new play by Susan Miller, with direction from Emily Mann, explores four women who are bonded by an annual ritual of having their pictures taken, therefore documenting their changing lives. But when these pictures have the potential to go public, the women are forced to confront what they have become. Now, moving on to the closings for this week. First up is Roundabout Underground's off-Broadway premiere of Too Heavy for Your Pocket, which will close on Sunday. Roundabout Theatre Company's revival of Time in the Conways will also close on Sunday. And two more Sunday closings include Tectonic Theatre Project's Uncommon Sense and the Public Theatre's production Illyria. And that is it for this week's schedule. All right. So, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWW Matt. And subscribe to something like a pop on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Natalie, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter at Natalie underscore Nowak, the same name on Instagram. And uh, yeah, tweet me. I like Twitter. <laughs> tweet, tweet me. <laughs> and my name well, is James. Sir. My name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for uh, kicking off your week with us. Uh, Matt and I will be back and chat with you tomorrow. Tomorrow.